Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Kate, and I am a marijuana addict. It's a real privilege to be asked to share tonight at this meeting, and I'm glad to be here with all of you. I'm just going to share my story, uh, what it was like, how I got here, and what it's like now. A bit of background about me. I was born and raised in San Francisco. I am an only child. My parents divorced when I was about age 12. My dad stayed, uh, moved about four blocks away from my mom, so I got to see them both a lot. Um, I had a difficult relationship with my mom and a very easy, close relationship with my dad. Um, my mom was a bit of a rageaholic, um, pretty explosive and prone to being depressed. And I found that to be very confusing when I was a child. I sort of blamed myself for all of that. Um, and I now learned that really had nothing to do with me, uh, but I did have to live with it and witness it, which was <clears throat> difficult um, at times and continues to be so. Um, my mom is still alive. She's 95, and uh, my dad passed away about 20 years ago. My dad remarried when I was 17, and <clears throat> somebody I didn't know very well suddenly moved into our house, and that was a big adjustment, and we did not get along terribly well either, uh, although we were civil to each other. Um, so some of those early experiences, I believe, set the stage for my later problems in life um, with addiction because um, just carried, I think, a lot of sort of pain over the divorce, some resentment about my stepmom, um, and some real insecurity about, you know, where I fit in and how I was supposed to handle all of my emotions. I mean, loving my parents <clears throat> dearly, but also being very angry with them for divorcing and putting me through having to go back and forth, um, was a whole lot of stress on a 12-year-old girl. Um, so I just wanted to share that. Um, through my teens and 20s and 30s, I struggled a lot. I um, did seek out psychotherapy for support, um, but I, I continued to have what I would call sort of a difficult time getting along with my mom and stepmom. It just wasn't the sort of close relationship that I wished that we had. Um, my dad felt very much caught in the middle between me and my stepmom, and that was hard for me to see him be caught in the middle um, as well. So it was a difficult situation for everybody. Um, my dad and I are very close, but he died when I was about 37 years old, and that sort of began, that was my, a big 
very profound loss for me and um, in some ways was sort of a, a turning point for me downward in my life. I felt very lost and uh, did not know how to deal with the grief that I experienced. I didn't know how to feel the feelings that I experienced. A lot of them really scared me. I had no sort of examples growing up of how to talk about feelings, how to process them. Um, Never once seen my mom cry. So I struggled a bit. And uh, so rewinding, um, in high school, I tried pot for the first time and didn't like it, made me paranoid, insecure, uptight, uh, extremely self-conscious, but I continued to to do it with friends because I desperately wanted to belong, desperately wanted to fit in somewhere, and I wanted to belong to the cool kids, and they were the ones smoking. Um, So we actually had a place on the high school campus called The Pit, And that was where I liked to be because I thought that made me cool. So I, you know, experimented with marijuana in high school. Um, I essentially used it very intermittently for about 30 years before I really got in trouble with it. Um, I might go seven or eight years in between using, not miss it, not think about it, have an occasion to use it again, use it, maybe smoke for a month or two and and stop. It it just wasn't an issue. Um, And I kind of had a love-hate relationship with it. I sort of hated the way it made me feel for the first hour because it was so intense, but once it wore off a little bit and I started to relax, that was the part I, I really enjoyed. So um, I had ambivalent feelings about it until uh, later in my life, I developed some medical issues with my gallbladder and my digestion, and I was having kind of constant nausea and inability to eat. At the same time, I was... I. Had been crossing the street on a green light in the crosswalk and somebody hit me with their car and broke my leg and I was in the hospital and had to have surgery and I also was having these really painful problems with gallstones and I kept ending up in the hospital and I also had some problems with sciatic nerve pain and all of this kind of hit me at the same time. And at the time I was put on a lot of um, pain medication and that ended up causing a lot more nausea. So my doctor said to me, well, I can write you a prescription for medical marijuana if you would like. And I said, okay. So I was able to manage those two medications for quite some time before I discovered that they both made me, they worked not just for pain and nausea, but they worked for stress and emotional relief and anxiety relief and helping me to 
numb out and just I just drifted slowly into like using them more and more for non-medical reasons and I was always pretty aware that that wasn't the intention and that I could get addicted if I continued on and even though I knew that and I was very aware and informed it wasn't enough to stop me from doing it again and I remember having these like episodes that just went on and on and on where I would have this thought of like I want to go take a couple of pills and I would think to myself well that's not going to fix anything I I'm not going to do that and then 10 minutes later I just get up and take them like as if something took over me and was in control and I wasn't in control really. Um, So I started using marijuana more and more and in about, uh, this is about 2007 was when I got my medical marijuana card and I found myself going from using it sporadically to, you know, eventually um, my mom sold the family house and we both moved and that whole transition was super stressful and my use went way up. And that was when I started vaping. I, you know, used to just like smoke a little bowl and once I started vaping, my addiction really took off and I found myself having a lot more cravings and a lot more withdrawal symptoms when, like, in between uses, I really started craving it and wanting it more and more and more, and I uh, continued to use it more and more and more. And um, so some of the um, ways that, uh, well, let let me back up. So in 2017, I realized that I really needed help with both of these addictions and I went to an outpatient rehab and I um, have been sober ever since. It's a little over six years off of the pain meds and I quit the pot as well. I did relapse on pot during COVID in 2020. Um, As you know, in California, we had a pretty insane lockdown policy where uh, we were all kind of trapped alone in our homes and everything changed and uh, it was kind of the perfect storm where I was super angry. I wasn't going to meetings for one thing. I wasn't hooked in to a 12-step program. So that's number one. And number two, I was angry and resentful. I felt trapped and helpless. I was scared. I was stressed. I was isolated living alone in my house. So I relapsed on pot again in 2020, and um, things got really, really bad. I Some of the ways that my addiction um, caused problems was I would sleep till about two or three. I wasn't working. I didn't have a job. I would stay up till about three in the morning and sleep till about two in the afternoon. Um, I wouldn't shower. I 
ate a lot of junk food. I didn't wash my dishes. I had stacks of unopened mail that I couldn't face. Um, I was spending money I didn't have, a lot of it. I didn't return phone calls. My house was disorganized. I, when people knocked on my door, I wouldn't answer. I thought that all my neighbors thought I was in here getting stoned and smoking pot, and I was very sort of anxious and a little bit paranoid about what other people thought about me. Um, I was extremely forgetful. I would forget what I was talking about all the time um, when I was talking to people. I felt really dumb. Um, when I wasn't stoned, I was very irritable, angry, argumentative, and I didn't like to be around people. I was withdrawn. I just avoided people. Uh, sometimes people would knock on my door and I wouldn't answer, wouldn't answer the phone. Um, and I was pretty spiritually bankrupt as well. I was not very honest. I was self-seeking. I cared pretty much only about myself and how I could stay high as much as possible. Um, I wasn't very happy with myself. It's pretty hard to like yourself when you can't stop doing something that you want to stop doing. Um, I was having more financial chaos and my life just felt very empty and the only real pleasure I had was the few hours during the day that I was high. Um, and I really sort of like confused this drug-induced euphoria for some kind of spiritual experience. Um, and I've come to understand for myself at least that there wasn't ever any spiritual experience. There wasn't any real enlightenment going on. It was, um, you know, a drug-induced state of mind, altered state of mind where I was hallucinating and it really wasn't real. So I finally got really sick, as they say, sick and tired of being sick and tired of being, you know, a slave to marijuana, as they say in the book, Life with Hope. It was really my master and I just was super restless and my heart would race and my thoughts would race and I was so very hopeless and anxious when I when I'd wake up in the morning and all of that went away when I smoked and I knew that um, if I didn't smoke, I couldn't get through the day. I couldn't eat any food. I couldn't sleep through the night. I knew I was super hooked on it. And I finally, uh, I'll just share a couple of stories um, that really were very difficult situations for me that kind of woke me up to the fit. Uh, severity of my situation. One was um, on my 50th birthday, my best friend took me to Las Vegas for the weekend, and I knew I couldn't bring the pot with me in my suitcase or in my purse on the plane because of the airport. So I had the brilliant idea of shipping my pot to the hotel uh, concierge like a week before we got there so that I could go to the hotel and pick it up and have it with me. Um, and what ended up happening is I had never been to Vegas and I did not know that there aren't any 
places you can really go on the street where you can find like an alcove or a like a park. There just aren't any little spots you can slip away into and smoke and not be detected. So I was increasingly anxious because I wasn't able to smoke as much as I wanted. And I finally got desperate and made some excuse up for my friend to go downstairs. And I said, oh, I forgot something in the room. And I went back up to the room and I smoked in there. It was a non-smoking room and smelled the whole place up. And uh, my friend, who was not a smoker, ended up coming back into the room unexpectedly and kind of caught me and she was so disappointed in me and very angry because the room was on her visa card and she thought that you know we could oh they, there was some sign in the room that said like if you smoke in the room we're going to you know charge you a cleaning fee of like some ridiculous amount of money and she thought that she was going to get charged that and then I might be getting that kicked out of the room. She just really, really, really flipped out. And it just, as you can imagine, ruined my high completely and kind of ruined the rest of the trip. And it kind of held a mirror up in front of me of like, this isn't um, cool what I'm doing. I'm, what I want to do is affecting other people in a negative way. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't have not smoked that day in the room. So it was a pretty hard situation. Um, the, the other thing that happened to me is I was in a room full of about 50 people in a homeowners association meeting in my with all my neighbors. And I raised my hand to talk about something and right in the middle of it, with everybody looking at me, I completely forgot what I was talking about. And I just remember sitting in there looking around, like panicking, thinking, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I can't remember. And I just had to say to everybody, uh, oops, I just lost my train of thought. I guess I'll you know, come back to me later. And I was so mortified and embarrassed after that experience, I, I just, anyway, it was really a downer. And I sort of said to myself, I don't really think this is uh, working. And I guess I need more help to quit because uh, I can't quit by myself. So I called up the uh, addiction counselor who had helped me in 2017 and let her know let her know that I'd relapsed on pot, and she said, well, I have good news for you. There's a 12-step program called Marijuana Anonymous. Um, they have a meeting every Friday at 6.30. Here's the address. Why don't you go? So I went to my first NA meeting in the summer of 2021. I felt really at home. I, somebody gave me a copy of the book, Life with Hope, I went home and read it, and I saw myself on almost every page. And the title of the book, Life with Hope, was what really kept me coming back because I didn't have any hope at the time. I really didn't. And the book helped me to understand that maybe it is possible to live with some hope, which I desperately, desperately needed. 
And so I was a, I kept going to meetings. After about six months, I did have a, a brief relapse and realized it right away, said, oh, oh, I'm taking a step backward. I'm doing old behavior. This is what I, you know, this is what I've done in the past. And it woke me up to the fact that I needed to double down on my recovery. So I finally, for the first time, threw, threw out all of my paraphernalia. I got everything out of the house. I had gotten the pot out of the house, but I still had things like my old bong and my vapor tower and all this stuff that I just felt like I was going to wait, like it was money down the drain. And I said to myself, I don't care how much money it's worth. I'm getting rid of it. It's not going to be in the house anymore. That was a big turning point where I really kind of committed fully to, I'm going to live my life without pot in it, period. I can't live with it. I have to live without it. I'm in prison and I have got to find a way out. So the book told me, the program told me, we find it easier just not to smoke than to try to moderate our use. I said, fine, I'll try that. I was just willing to do whatever I was told. Um, so what the kind of the bargaining, I'll just briefly talk about the bargaining process that I went through before I called that addiction medicine counselor and told her I'd relapsed is I finally came to the conclusion that I wasn't going to be able to have everything I wanted in my life, um, that I wasn't going to be able to get stoned and be sane. I wasn't going to be able to be stoned and have an organized house and an organized life and a job and friends, that I was going to have to pick one. And I already knew what life was like with pot in it, and that wasn't working. So it made it very clear to me that I, for me, I only had one option, and that was I was going to have to give something up to get something better in exchange. It was pick one, you can't have both. They don't, they're not compatible. And once I really kind of got that through my head, that this is how life works. There are spiritual laws that rule our lives, and one of them is we have to decide what is really the best choice for us. And sometimes that means letting go of things or people or jobs or situations that we are very attached to and we think we need desperately, but we have to risk letting go and saying goodbye in order to have something better. So once I was able to go through that bargaining process, I was able to make that phone call to her and um, get on the road to recovery. Um, today, what it's like now is today I'm free. I've let myself out of that prison that I lived in for many, many years. Um, I found the keys to unlock the door, let myself out. I believe that 12-step program works for anybody who really wants it and are willing to do the work. Um, and I only became willing when I had been defeated so many times and my self-will was no longer sufficient. I was pretty stubborn, and um, but I realized that surrendering was 
actually leaving the losing team and going on the winning team, and that was really a better choice. So some shift happened mentally, which I can't really take any credit for. I give all the credit to my higher power for helping to make that shift in my mind. Um, So for me, steps one, two, and three is admitting, hey, I have a really big problem. Uh, I need help to solve it. Maybe there is help. I think I'll try the help that I find and do what I'm told. And that brought me to step four, which was not fun, but all it really is is making making a list. That's all you're doing is just writing down what you resent, what you fear, some things about your sexual past. Um, that's really all I did was write a bunch of stuff down on a lot of pieces of paper. And uh, and then I told my sponsor about it. And then I was done with four and five. Um, I Some of the things that I do for my recovery is I try to um, act my way into right thinking rather than think my way into right acting, which is what I tried to do in my addiction and it didn't work. Um, Today I have a job that I really love. I get up early in the morning. Um, I, to deal with the withdrawals, I started jogging and walking and hiking and riding my bike. Um, I try to go to the beach as much as I can. I just try to be in beautiful places and exercise and deal with stress in those ways. Meditating, um, praying, just taking care of my body, eating well. I try to go to bed early so that I prevent a lot of stressful situations from happening, like being sleep deprived and hungry and angry are three really big triggers. I try to avoid those as best I can. Um, I journal a lot. I go to a lot of meetings. I do a lot of service. Um, I secretary meetings. I was a delegate at this year's and a conference in May. I sponsor other women. I try to encourage newcomers. I try to carry the message. Um, My sponsor and I are are on step 11 right now, so I'm almost done working the steps for the first time. My sponsor has helped me so much. I recommend to anybody who's new or not new get a sponsor. Sometimes it can take a while. We work the steps every week. Um, she helps me get a new perspective on things. I share my problems with her and we find solutions. And it was doing step five that I really learned to be honest for the very first time with another person. And that's been hugely helpful for my recovery. I'll also just share that all the promises have really come true for me. I I don't regret the past um, or wish to shut the door on it. I do know a new freedom and a new peace, and I see how my experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity has slipped away, although self-pity comes back whenever I get a a cold or I'm sick. The first thing that goes out the window is gratitude and... uh, I mean, yeah, the first thing that goes out the window is gratitude, and the first thing that comes in is self-pity, but 
I think being sick is a very challenging situation for anybody, um, and that is a struggle for me, but I get through it every time. Um, I try to just live my life one day at a time, not that I don't go into the future and into the past. Frequently I do, but I this program has helped me to remember to live. I can only live this moment. And the, moment, the day I decided to stop smoking and went into withdrawal, I just said, I don't know what my higher power is, but I believe that there is something out there. Please help me get through this withdrawal and the detox and not sleeping and not eating and jumping out of my skin and all that, which lasted a very long time. I tested positive for THC for about four months until... I tested negative, so, you know, I was a pretty heavy user, um, and the withdrawal was not easy, and I needed a lot of faith that there was a power helping me to get through it. Um, just to wrap up, I'll say that um, I have almost a year and eight months um, sober from marijuana and a little over six years from opioid pain medication. I'm super grateful for this program. It literally saved my life. I'll end by saying the psychologist Carl Jung is quoted as saying that it is the privilege of a lifetime to become who we truly are. And I love that quote. And I aspire to become who I truly am. I don't think I've quite gotten there. I don't know if I'll ever quite fully become who I truly am, but I'm on that path now thanks to the 12-step program, thanks to Marijuana Anonymous. I am getting closer to that goal. Um, and what I've, what I've learned is the spiritual nature of this program is that what other people gave to me when I was brand new, like giving me a book and telling me to come back, and the interest that they took in me is I pass that along to new people now, or I try to. And that spiritual, like, receiving and giving, that reciprocity relationship is a really beautiful thing. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. To me, the 12 steps are transformational actions to reintegrate the mind, body, and soul from being broken from addiction, and uh, there is no way to do this other than to really have the courage to face yourself honestly and do the work. Um, I found my higher powers carried me through the fear. Every time I've asked for it, I've gotten the strength and courage that I need. Um, I'll just end by saying step eight and nine was truly a wonderful experience. I was extremely anxious and scared, but I've made about nine amends, uh, direct amends over the summer, and I feel like I've been set free. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate the opportunity to share some of what I've been through, what I've learned. I hope that helps somebody else, and uh, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much.